0: all right hey guys welcome to the game trail podcast uh i got a special guest today i got uh, sam davis um sam davis all the way from wyoming uh yeah we, i appreciate you jumping on. it was a late ask which it usually is for me um it's interesting is we talked uh about doing the, the big hunt guys podcast and i think it's probably been maybe three or four months ago we were sitting down having a meeting just trying to kick around some ideas of who who would we want to come on and your name kept coming up, so maybe we'll still have you on that podcast. But when I ran into you at the expo, I was like, "Oh man, I want to have Sam on my podcast." So I pre-
1: that's perfect. Yep. man. Well, yeah, it's it's an honor. It's an honor to get asked by you, and it was it was cool to finally get to shake your hand. I know we've kind of communicated a little bit, uh, a little bit, but yeah, it's good to actually shake your hand and get to meet you and BS you a little bit at the expo.
0: Yeah, you're you're one of those guys that I've been aware of for a long time. I've seen some of the stuff that you've done with the the Stone Glacier guys, and I've kind of followed along with your hunting. And you know maybe you have with me as well, but it was it was cool to actually finally put a face to a, a name and, and get a chance to shake your hand and, and catch up. Hopefully, we get a chance to do it again, and, and you know, preferably rather than a podcast, we get out in the field together and do something, whether shoot some arrows or go on a hunt.
1: Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a good time. I I, I have I definitely follow along. I love watching all the go hunt films. I've watched a lot of your elk and stuff. It's fun to fun to watch like minded guys, your aggressiveness and stuff like that. It's 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 cool to watch. I, I like to take a piece of everybody's kind of tactics i've i've been a big movie man as a kid i watched every dvd that came out yep. from the Primos ones. you know i mean i should i should start to go back like the vhs i'm almost 40 years old so i grew up watching all the monster bucks monster bulls truth series you know every video that came out about hunting so youtube has just been one of those things that i've just latched on to over the years now and go hunt films you guys do a great job so it's been it's been awesome to watch what you guys have put together at go hunt too yeah
0: thanks man it uh it is funny. You, you're about. I'm 44. You're, you're coming up on 40. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Creep creeping up. Uh, you look like you're. in you look like you're a lot better <laughs> shape than I am going going into
1: 40. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. It's it's it is what it is, I guess. But yeah, it's one of those things. It's like 40. It's a for me. It's a. It's not scary. I mean, I got a wife and a daughter, and she's six years. You know, six year old. So it's not like I should be at that age, right? It's like I live. I've lived a good life and. Man, I, I feel better now than I did when I was twenty five. I always say I could whip I could whip my twenty five year old ass right now. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. I gotta I gotta get it moving back that way. I've always said that like 30, 30, 31, 32 was kind of the best I ever felt, and I felt like ever since then I've been sliding downhill. So I need to figure out how to get back to my twenty five year old self, like you are. Oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm there, but I sh- I feel good. Well, I, I feel real good. I
0: told I told Lane. I don't know if you do you know Lane at all that works with us, Lane Col Co- 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 Kohler, I can't ever, th- I can't ever say. his
1: I met I met a couple of guys uh, when everybody was wandering around the expo the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, when you and Brady was swung by, when you guys were kind of around Stone Glacier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm not sure. I may have met him, but I don't. I, don't, I feel bad if I said I, I didn't and I did. So I may have met him, but uh, I'm not sure. I, I, so. I
0: mentioned to him that I was going to have you on, and he goes, "Oh yeah, man, I love that guy." He's like, but, he said, uh, Buff is cowboy this side of the Mississippi." So <laughs> you, you got a reputation, anyway.
1: Uh, that's funny uh
0: wait, you live in uh, Wyoming give us a background on, on where you're from where you're born and raised and what you do for a living
1: all right yeah uh born and raised in Wyoming right here north central Wyoming um I grew up my dad was a fireman um on his off days he worked on ranches around the community so he was he was he, he moved to Wyoming he from Washington my dad and he was 18 years old and my mom, she was Wyoming born and raised. Um, they got together anyways. Dad grew up in the hunting side of things. He was, an, he was a guide and outfitter and cowboy, and that didn't make a lot of money. So then he became a fireman. And then from there, he was a, still kept his guiding and his outfitting things. So I came along and I grew up with a dad that was a full-time guide in the fall when he wasn't at the fire station, and dad hunted a lot. So uh, I was totally immersed in it from the get-go. Um, there's pictures of me when I was two years old with elk racks and on horses, in back in the back country. I mean, I, I was very fortunate to do it all, and I guess I don't realize how fortunate I was until I, until I meet guys that are too new to the hunting world. And I didn't, you know, I, I guys want to do that, you know, and they would have all these dreams. And I was like, man, I was I was living the life before I even knew mm-hmm. what, what you know. And I didn't know anything else. Anyways, uh, from there, grew up, um, rifle hunted a little bit as a little kid, you know. But then I picked up a bow really fast, started shooting a bow. And uh, by the age of 15, I killed my first high country mule deer. Um, mom dropped me off on the mountain. My cousin met me up there a few days later, and I killed a buck in the high country. Mom picked me up a few days after. Three days later, it was Labor Day weekend, so football got done on Friday. She dropped me off on a Saturday morning. She came back and picked me up on a Monday evening, and I had a, a buck dead with my PSD that shot 218 feet per second, shooting uh Aluminum arrows back in those days and five inch flesh. so and 15? Yeah, man. Yeah, 15 years old, I killed a bucket 10,000 feet with my bow, and, full velvet three by three. And, so. and she dropped you off and left you for how many days? Three days? Three days. Yep. She left me off. My cousin, he drove over. He was older. He drove over from Cody, Wyoming. He met me the next day and he had bow hunted a little bit. So I kind of, uh he was kind of my guide, but he didn't, I'm not like, he was kind of, I was looking up to him, I should say. My dad was busy guiding. So he wasn't able to take me. So my mom just dropped me off with my four-wheeler and kicked me out with a tent. And my cousin met me the next day, and I ended up killing a deer the next uh, two days later. I killed it Monday, that Monday morning. Mom picked me up Monday afternoon. And, yeah, I'd got a high country buck with my bow. And it's was, it was pretty cool looking back. It was yeah, it was neat. Yeah. Was that,
0: do you remember, was that the first night that you'd spent out on your own? Or had you done nights before on your own out in the woods?
1: Uh, I shouldn't say out in the woods. I mean, living in Sheridan, my folks lived, right, they had— we had some neighbors that let us run our horses in like a like a 400 acre horse pasture looked over a big valley big you know like cedar juniper kind of stuff and i'd camped out there on my own um a couple nights doing that kind of stuff um i'd win with uh buddies at, at i mean my mom the same thing <laughs> we ran kind of wild we ran four-wheelers i read road four-wheelers up the mountains and we stayed the night up on the mountains and we were like 13 and 14 years old but there was always two of us so as far as like out on my own first adventure for one night, that was the first night I ever probably stayed just absolutely by myself. So yeah, it was, it was an early start. I guess.
0: <laughs> Do you remember feeling like anxious at all? Like how do you remember feeling or, or was it just so ingrained in you from a young age that like being outdoors and being in the woods was, was pretty natural. Or do you remember feeling anxious at all?
1: No, I don't remember at all. I was so freaking excited to chase stuff with my bow and bow season was already, it was already open. So that first night I hunted, like I, where I walked up this, I remember I walked up a big ridge and just started glassing, glassing my butt off. And I found, actually found the bucks that I ended up killing out of that group. There was 11 bucks in the group. And I was so excited trail. I got there. I, uh, I, I saw bucks that night. I, I went back to bed and who knows, I, I was I'd probably eating canned food that I was just heating mm-hmm. up in the fire, ate one of those. And then by the next morning, my cousin showed up and away we went and he had an elk tag. I had a deer tag. We didn't have any, have anything happen that morning. And so no, I, I don't remember even being scared or anxious or anything. I was just I was just jacked to be hunting. Had my bow in my hand. Football, you know, we were done with football on Friday night, yeah. so it was time to, to get something done before I had to be back to practice on Monday Monday night. You so. uh, you,
0: you weren't navigating with a GPS, I would bet, right?
1: You, <laughs> no, we didn't like it's funny all the technology right now. Yeah. No, I didn't have GPS. I didn't. Have, I never rangefinder. We didn't. Have, that was that was that was in two thousand. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even have a range finder with. But uh, then. I was very fortunate. My grandmother in Washington, she was big in the Audubon Society. Well, she had passed away when I was a little kid. And her gift to me when she died was I had a really nice set of binoculars. I grew up running the Zeiss Classics 10 by 40s So I had a really nice set of binos. I had a cheap Nikon spotting scope, which I still have to this day. And that's what I ran. Everybody's so caught up on gear. And I had Walmart camouflage, uh, a Badlands. Back then they were called the Day Pack, and they had the Super Day. And I ran. I think I had the Super Day. I had a Badland Super Day, and like it was enough. There was no GPS's, there was nothing, and no range finder. I think that's what I think p- floors people. Sometimes I tell them that story. I was like, oh no, I had a 20, 30, 40 pin, and you shot every single day, and you mm-hmm. were dialed. Like I knew that deer was It's funny too, because I remember put my 40 pin on him, and I was like, yeah, he looks a little bit further. I put my 40 pin right <laughs> on top of his back, and honestly, he's probably 44 yards when I shot that deer. Sure. So you yeah technology has definitely changed since those days
0: has your own hunting style changed with technology or do you still i mean how much do you rely on you know your phone with maps or gps or do you you feel like you've transitioned like you into more using parts and pieces of technology or do you still feel like the base of like how you hunt is mostly like instinct and in the field and experience
1: instinct Mm -hmm. 100 percent instinct um I use my maps now for a little bit of scouting new areas, right? New country, new areas, maybe to kind of dissect the drainage, but I'm still very um, crude with it. Like I, you know, I talked to like Livesey, I've been around Mark Livesey and I, I, I'm just an OnX guy. Now that I got hmm. on I don't deep dive in Google earth. I don't do all these overlays. I don't do any of that. I use, I use one platform yeah. I've I use it. And it's more of just to be like, all right, here's kind of a contour. It gives me a pretty good idea. I mean, I came from just like you did, the BLM gazetteers, the big red ones. Yep. Those were like the big start. And then you'd be like, okay, I want this map. Then you go to your local BLM office and get printed off whichever map. I mean, if you knew someone, they could print you off like a custom mm-hmm. map and get you kind of the sections that you needed. But no, I mean, just the, the mapping platform for me was great. Um, I think me, just like you, I'm very lucky. Uh, and you're in your biology back and you know the country you're looking for. Uh, I know the terrain that I'm looking for, and I know it's going to hold critters. And I definitely have plan A through Z as it, as the as the hunt progresses and goes on. So I have backup plan after backup plan. But um, I use that one mapping platform, and then I just use my gut. A lot of just gut instinct when I get feet on the ground and I get into that unit, then I can really start breaking it down. And the things that you count count yeah, excuse me can't account for, such as where more people are going to be, um, recent logging things, you know, recent fires that aren't showing up on some of your maps, um, lots of pressure areas from other people. There's, there's a few things you can't account for there, so then you just got to kind of. That's what you roll into Plan B and Plan C, and I really just use my gut and, mm-hmm. and go from there. I, and uh, that's where I think maybe I. I kind of overlook how much of a how lucky I am, am to have the background I do in mule deer elk and all these all this western game as far as is where to go find more. Yeah,
0: I I agree. And that's been um it's been particularly challenging for me in the line of work that I've landed in to always adequately explain to people why it is that I do the things that I do. Because there's a lot of time I don't really think about why I'm doing the thing that I'm doing, and and then to pass that knowledge on, it's actually pretty tough because I'm not I'm not really like processing it in a way that like I would then turn around and explain it to somebody. The reason that I do something, it's just like I feel like that's what I should do, and and a lot of that just comes from experience. I mean, at work, these guys get frustrated with me a lot. Like when we were developing Gohan maps, and you know, people were putting feedback and. You know continually like working on maps and all the different little, you know, tricks and features and things that you can add to a map. Um, I think they would get frustrated with me, and I, I didn't add nearly the amount of information that those guys would because I just don't use maps as often as a lot of people do. And a lot of it is, I tell people all the time, they get frustrated with me at work, but like I just go figure an area out, like I have an idea what I'm looking for you know, I'll have a spot on a map or, you know, a drainage. I think that looks good. I've looked at it on a map, but then I'm just going to go into that area and then figure it out. And it's, it's kind of hard to explain to folks, but I guess the lesson is in that is that it's, it's, uh, it's impossible to replace experience. Like I tell people all the time, um, you know, put together a plan as good as you possibly can and have backups, you know, have all the tools that you need, but, but ultimately like, just go, just get out, just
1: get out there and go and like, learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think there's, you know, there's so much technology out there now there's podcasts like this Mm -hmm. and you name it, it's out there from YouTube to the hunting world has, has blown up. We just came from the expo, both of us. And you see it there firsthand. I mean, people are, they're following people around just to see the bits of information that they drop. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's kind of a metaphorically speaking, but it's crazy what this hunting world has created and, there's no easy button. No. I mean, you can you can be in the best shape. You can have the best bow setup. You can have the best equipment. You can have the best pack. Like you can have the best of everything that money can buy. And then you can take your fitness seriously. But I think experience in the field with a deer or an elk or whatever quarry you decide to chase. There's there's nothing that can replace that. And there's no easy button. You just have to absolutely have to get out there and do it. And um all the, all the stuff I'd lifted off. I mean, it helps you. Like, I think it helps to be better shape, the better, I mean, the gear, the technology of the gear. I mean, I've sat through rainstorms now where back in my old days, I was miserable sure. and you were trying to figure out how to start a fire. And I was trying to do other stuff like that. Cause I was like, I had to be thinking ahead of like how to stay alive that night because I didn't have the gear that I do now just to put on some badass rain gear now. And you can rock out a rainstorm. And don't even worry about it. You just keep hunting. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's a whole different ball game as far as that stuff goes. So yes, that has helped me there, but. Just when it comes down to, like, uh, the kill, too. I don't think people – that sounds – it's kind of a crude way of saying it, but the more you kill, the better you get. Mm -hmm. And uh, the more times you've seen an arrow strike an animal and you hear that sound, you start just. you even know the sound of a good hit. You know the body language. You know – the mannerisms of what that deer elk does immediately when that arrow hits them, you can tell you when you've had a gut shot, liver shot, you can tell when it's dark red blood coming out low, they're bleeding like a stuck hog at first, but man, that looked like it was mid body. It was low. I've hit that, that bull's hitting the liver. A bull elk hitting the liver can go long ways. Mm-hmm. And a bull elk hitting the liver can go a long ways and he can bed down and bleed like a stuck hog until he beds down. And then he clots up and he gets up and rebeds. And now you got a now you're in a pickle because, that bull was bleeding really good and that bull is going to die. That isn't one of those, oops, maybe, ah, I think he's going to live. Nah, you hit him there. They dump a lot of blood. I mean, there's just all these situations that you have to be put into and go through and nothing replaced. And I think podcasts do a great thing. There's <laughs> there's great podcasts out there and guys do put out a lot of information. And uh, if you can put all the puzzle pieces together as far as these new guys coming in, put these puzzle pieces together of, man, I heard this on a podcast or I saw this on a video or and, you, you can put it together and kind of come up with a get, good game plan, but there's there's nothing that's going to replace. I mean, uh, watching those ears on those mule deer when they're going to stand up or is that deer about ready? He's starting to move his head a little bit. Like when that sun starts touching his velvet, you damn right. He knows that sun's touching his velvet. He's getting ready to stand up like it, and he's going to change beds and knowing when that wind's going to shift on him. And there's so many little intricate things that I can just go back. It's more of my screw-ups that I sure. remember, right? think of all this it isn't like all the good times it isn't all the <laughs> yeah. punched him right through the lungs i watched him do a half circle and he fell down dead at you know 35 yards past where i shot him it's it's the ones where i had to dig deep and yeah and really break, break down a blood trail and break down a track and think man everybody says elk don't go uphill when they're wounded and they're lying i've followed a lot of bulls with an arrow stuck in them. they're going straight uphill they're a tough animal and their will to survive is a lot more than we think it For is sure. so I, that was kind of long winded no. in all of what i have saying, but there's, there's a lot to just, just getting out there and, and hunting yeah. that be replaced.
0: I agree. I mean, take, I think it's good to be a student of the game, take as many notes as you possibly can from people like yourselves that, uh, you know, have done it for their whole lives. But ultimately, you know, you, you just got to get over the, the fear of uh, the, what might happen or, you know, the fear of maybe being unsuccessful your first, who knows how many times it's going to take you? Yeah, I mean, every everybody. It's just it's just like you said, it's those. Um, it's really the failures that end up being the the catalyst to being able to be successful every single time because you've seen those scenarios. I mean, I've I've thrown a rock over a hundred eighty inch buck to make him stand up. <laughs> and, and, and I know that didn't work. So I, I know, I know that, that that's not my jam. I mean, if I have to wait out uh, in the hot sun for three hours, you know, and he's bedded in a little pocket shade and he's going to stand up on his own more naturally, I know that's the better move for me to make because I've made the mistake. So I think, uh, collect as much information as you possibly can from guys like yourself. And then, you know, ultimately just go out and do it. And I give that answer a lot to people. And I don't know if it's, it feels like a cop out to me. Like i You know, people will say like, you know, how do you do it? And I'm just like, I don't know, man. You just have to have like a legitimate go for it attitude. Like you have to have no fear and just legitimately go for it. Like every single stock that you think you might be able to make,
1: make it and just see what happens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's killer advice right there. There's my hunting partner, Zach. uh, He's my, my, my best friend, my working partner. We talk about that all the time. And I think the biggest thing is, is I don't get too hung up on critters. Like big, uh yeah, I'd love to kill a big three fifty plus bull every single year. I'd love to kill an eight and a half year old 180-inch buck every single year. But the reality is it's it's not there. And where I hunt, I don't I don't hunt units. There's units that hold bulls like that and bucks like that. And I've been forced to take a handful of them, right? Over 25 years of bow <laughs> hunting now. But um there's a lot of times where I like the experience. I hunt for the experience, I hunt for mature animals. So right there. If I can if I can put those two things together that's what I bow hunt for. That's what I love to do. And that's what feeds my family. I mean, we're elk, elk meets cooking right now as we speak. And, and, uh, I think that's what I go for. And that being said, I am apt to try every single stock. I'm apt to dive into every single t- timber patch after bulls. And yeah, maybe there's a 4 inch. I've, I've been on some giants and I've hunted them for 10, 11 days. And sometimes it hasn't worked out. And Man, then I've been on some bulls that slip in there and I've stuck an arrow in them because I, I, I was satisfied. My cup was full. I didn't get the big one, but I got a damn nice bull that ended up being 14 years old. This a couple of years ago. I can think of an example of a giant mm-hmm. bull I was on. I hunted him for four and a half, five days, lost him for two or three days. So now I'm seven days into this and I get on another bull. It was an old, old bull and I had 60 head of cows and I stuck an arrow in him. I am just as happy to tell that story as I would have been if I killed the big one. So I think if you're, you're open-minded to just doing what in the hunt like chasing a mature animal he doesn't know if he's got 180 inches on his head or if he's got 104 if he's 150 inch three by three that, that buck has no idea he's just as hard to kill and uh you're gonna have just as much of a rush especially if you're i, I say especially if you're a newbie but i don't even think that because i i would shoot a giant three by three or giant the right buck right mm-hmm. now just as if i would when i first started this whole bow hunting journey so yeah that's what people need to, they need to be really open-minded and don't get hung up on these numbers and don't get hung up on this whole size game. Just, just go out there and, and fulfill what you want to fulfill. I did a hunt with Stone Glacier. The film's going to be coming out this spring and it's just a bull. It's just a six by six bull. Now, Grant, I knew the unit I was in was you don't want to get very picky because there's very, very, very few elk in this unit. I saw one giant to start the hunt off, but he, he was running on country where I couldn't chase him. And so I'm not going to chase ghosts, right? If I can't go kill him, I'm not going to chase him. So I, I changed it up and I ended up just killing a nice six point, but was the hunt amazing. Heck yeah. Like it was, it was all that I could Mm -hmm. ask for. Um, that's why the repetition of putting arrows and foam all summer is pretty fun when you get to draw back and put pins on some fur and let it rip. Like that's what I do it for. Yeah. And I think that's, I think, I mean, you're saying something that resonates with me. I talk to
0: a lot of people that apply all over everywhere and they wait for the right tag, you know? And I think, I think that's a mistake. I think it's a mistake in that you're just not getting reps and you're not getting the experience about, you know, just chasing elk, even if it's a cow elk, you know, put it, Absolutely. putting yourself out there and, and then knowing what you're going to have to put up with to make it happen. I think, uh, if you don't get those reps every single year, just on those opportunity type of hunts, you'll never capitalize on a really big animal because you just don't have the experience. You, you just don't know how to put it together and you can't keep your, your shit together in the moment.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah exactly i think and I, i've given advice to guys um I, i've helped ryan lampers do some of that western hunting summit stuff and i've seen brady there and you get these guys that come that's where i've had some really one-on-one with some guys that ask me some really cool questions and they're new to hunting and i tell them i'm like get yeah go chase go chase doe whitetails right like go try and spot and stalk a doe whitetail get out of those tree stands like i love spot and stalk and whitetail on the ground and just 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 literally just like a cat crawling around in there a mountain line you know you're just hunting them on the ground. I learned so much doing that when I was younger. But I look at these guys that are trying to get in on this Western hunting. And just what you just said, cow elk, one of my favorite hunts. I shouldn't even say, like, I put it out there because it's a rifle. It's a rifle tag. I love hunting cow elk during rifle season with my bow. Mm. Uh, and I like the late season when there's 300 head of them, and there's so many eyes and so many noses. And those are some of, like, some of my best and most fun hunts Or when it's December and it's snowing sideways and I'm chasing cow elk with my bow man trail those 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 are the hunts and those hunts have taught me you want to talk about like the aggressiveness and foot Mm -hmm. on the gas pedal and when to back off and when to go oh i've learned so much chasing cow elk with the bow late season they've already been you know routed around by guys chasing them with rifles for two months and now they're in their big winter herds they're usually on big divides where they can see forever they pulled out of the timber game now they're in big open country usually, so it's tough. It's like hunting an antelope. I mean, mm-hmm. damn near that wide open. The cow I shot this year, it was, I crawled on my belly for, oh, I was on my stomach for probably an hour and a half, almost two hours, and I waited until the wind. They were calling for 30-mile-an-hour gusts because the storm was coming in, and I was like, hell yeah, that'll make, I, I'll have all the cover. And those cows, you know, they'll just bed out there, and they'll just eat that wind right in their face. They were all better with their eyes closed, head to the storm, 200 head, and I crawled with my bow around, across my forearms, and I literally just crawled on my stomach and army crawled for hour and a half. It took me to get like 250 yards in the wide open. And I was finally able to get to where one cow finally stood up and she started getting nervous. And I still gained another eight yards with her just standing there broadside. And until I got to effective range, I was able to put an arrow in them. I've learned so much doing that. And that's what I guys can get. You can get a cow tag Absolutely. every single year in some state. You can go chase elk and you can hunt a lot of these cows during the rut. So you're literally hunting them while they're. If, then when you do dry, draw that premium eleven point tag, you know, hey, I remember exactly how this scenario fell in and I had those bulls running around me, but I had to shoot a cow. And now you can do it. You can you can essentially pay to play yep. and you can and you can figure this game out that you and I growing up in the West have been so lucky to figure out since we were kids. Like that that that's the easiest ticket to learning this is go out there, hunt them exact you still need the good gear, you still need the good packs, you still you can do you can be one of those gear junkies. I'm not a real gear junkie. I got a lot of stuff <laughs> over a lot of years, but um, if you saw my bow, people would just laugh. Like my stabilizers, I just go from one bow to the next. I spray paint them because the paint chips off them. Like I did, it's a tool to me, mm-hmm. and I want it to be effective, and I want it to shoot right, and I want it to shoot good, but I don't get all caught up in the gear. I want tags, and I want to hunt, and that's that's, that's what I do. That's a
0: good tip. I like I like the the late season cow elk uh, tip with a bow. I think there's a, a valuable lesson in that i think it's a fun hunt i've, I've always told people cow elk hunting is a riot because any cow will do i mean any yeah, any any yeah, cow exactly. is, yeah any cow is available and open to hunt and you can chase till the cows come home i mean you could you know pun intended but you can you can just go at it you know all day long and any any cow will do and it's fun to you know hunt and blow stocks and learn things and i think that's a great yes. a great tip man i really like that um I'm going to switch gears on you just a little bit. I was curious since you live up there in Wyoming, kind of North central Wyoming. um, We could, you give me like a little bit of report just like on general hunting in Wyoming. How is it? How are the herds? I know we had a real bad winter uh, a couple years ago and that was kind of on the backside of drought. I mean, like what's your gut as far as Wyoming goes for, for opportunity, elk,
1: antelope, mule deer, you know, as far as um, where I'm at North central Wyoming, the, I'm actually working 70 miles south of Sheridan. right now we're building a barn down there. And so we're driving through a bunch of country right now, every single day. And the antelope hunter numbers up in this North central part, they fared really well. <laughs> everything that everybody heard last year about that winter, it was, it was middle of Wyoming, South to Southwest, right. And Utah border, Idaho border, everything got smoked on there. And it's, it's no joke. Uh, as far as the deer herds down there, they're absolutely got demolished and the antelope took a huge hit. So that that's like not a rumor that people are you know are just throwing around that's for real um as far as this winter goes it's about as good as it could get they're calling for a storm tonight and but we haven't had any I and mean, we've had snow but it has been the most mild winter literally the deer and elk were still eating green grass on the south facing slopes <laughs> until three four weeks ago when we had we had a big hard freeze hard hard 30 some below zero 40 some below zero wind chills back in january <laughs> but before that There were still those south-facing slopes that still had that green, you know, fall grass that had popped up on them. So the deer and elk are absolutely doing phenomenal. As far as Wyoming elk go, there's – we can't stop the elk, right? We got – Wyoming's got a problem of rich landowners. and I shouldn't say rich landowners. I should say just private land Mm -hmm. guys that don't want to let every Tom, Dick, and Harry come and shoot a cow and which rightfully so i don't want i if i own that you know it's, it's like you're not gonna just let every guy off the street come and shoot a cow elk so it creates there's a lot of tension in the state mm-hmm. and i grew up with the ranching background i've worked on all those ranches that we had thousands of elk on right um it's a tough dynamic but the elk numbers are absolutely i think i probably over objective in every single area except for maybe around the park where we're heavy on wolves right you know mm-hmm. the those wolves do put a put a hurting on the elk um I can't say that they're under objective, but maybe at objective around <laughs> the park. But everywhere else in the state, man, I would say we're at or above objective. The elk hunting is phenomenal. Uh, the mule deer, mule deer, just kind of like the sad story everywhere in the West. It's uh, it's one of those things that I was really pumped about the fawn crop I saw last fall, last summer, last fall. The does and fawns, look great. Um, I think that we had a hard enough winter last winter statewide that I think our buck numbers were did get hit harder than i think a lot of even some biologists had expected up here i talked to a few of the wardens around this area in the north of northern part of the state and that first they didn't think we'd got hit that hard as far as our bucks but then when fall came and hunters started killing some bucks and everybody kind of the survey started coming in right word off the street what people were seeing uh, um our bucks did get hit last winter hard um we had a younger age class but i think we we lost that older age class we damn sure those bucks so i'm excited to see what this year brings especially with this winter every doe that's pregnant right now has just got to be i mean her fawn inside is just got to be rocking yeah. like the grass that we had the rain that we had this year everything is just a absolute perfect scenario to, their fawn crop should be outstanding the yearlings that did you know were born last year those those that didn't abort and they did have their fawns last year those fawns are going to be big and tough and strong because they've had tons of they don't even know what winter is it's been so easy this year so yeah, true forecast owner of this year is going to be good um i think if if you're asking my honest opinion those guys that are holding on to some points i'd ride it out maybe one one more year but if you we were looking at the old famous famous regions in wyoming i, I wouldn't i wouldn't dump any points this year. i'm sh- sure there's still critters there i'm not telling guys to not hunt it but you're gonna be hunting your ass off to find right. the one that you've been looking for that traditionally comes in the past I, it definitely got hit down there hard I, so i'm
0: curious as to uh I, I, and you can, you can deflect this question if you want. I totally wouldn't be offended at all, but, um, I get, I get asked quite a bit about Wyoming. I mean, everybody knows G and H, everybody talks deer G and H, um, you know, elk, they talk, you know, a lot of those, uh, you know, units, 56, 59 around the park, you know, 60, 61, you know. 63, kind of those like known elk units. But, uh, every year people ask me like, how do you find a hidden gem? Are there still hidden gems to be found
1: in Wyoming? Uh, you know what I, I haven't spent a bunch of time in the southeast i know nothing about the southeast i've killed one bull down there as far as elk go um the elk units that you just spoke of i mean there's no secret it those is- there's a reason those odds are getting even for residents those odds are getting crazy yep. hard to draw there's those they're found there's a lot of good bulls in that country they're still big bulls statewide i mean i've rolled into some spots where i've i mean i was fortunate enough the last couple of years i've had like a buffalo tag i've had a big orange sheep tag and it's taken me into some spots that I traditionally wouldn't be elk and deer hunting. Put it that way, right? Gotcha. Um, and I've seen some. I've found some big critters. It even opened my eyes. And I've hunted a lot of the state. It opened my eyes to a few units. So we still got some big animals around. And they're in some harder to get to spots. Grand, I was sheep hunting in one spot, right? And I was horseback doing some other stuff in other spot where I was deep in. And, yeah, I've, I've seen some good stuff. Um, I think the mule deer – I think the mule deer – I can be hundred percent honest with you. I, there's a, there's a, there's a real hard thing going on in my mind right now. What I'm seeing where technology are outrunning our mature bucks. Gotcha. Um, we got these. I mean, uh, and I'm not even saying this because I'm an archery hunter. I just want everybody to know that I guide rifle hunters, and I'm I, I deal with rifle hunters every single year. I, I usually don't like to guide bow hunters because I I don't like I like to bow hunter. I like to guide bow hunters. So I, all I guide is rifle hunters. It's it's super easy now to buy a $1,600 gun that can shoot 500 to 700 yards. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas 10 years ago, a 300 yard shot was a long shot. And I'm not saying this to, I, I love that guys can be super accurate. Cause I think that's a neat thing to be super accurate and super effective. It's just like taking a 60 yard archer mm-hmm. shot that 10 years ago. That wasn't a thing. 50 yards is a long ways. Right. Um, I just think that, what I see with these general deer areas, and what I'm seeing with some of these deer that are lived that lived through last winter and stuff, um, I've watched a guy this year. You know, you're, you're shooting 600, 700 yards, especially out in like the Badlands country. Mm-hmm. That's, you can sit on a knob and you can damn near shoot from everywhere on that knob. You can shoot across Canyon, across coulee and uh, I think it's putting a real hurting on our, our mature mule deer bucks. I'm glad they got rid of all the mature doe uh, doe seasons, mm-hmm. mule deer doe seasons. Excuse me. But I, I think that's one thing that's technology is just outrunning our deer herds, and I think that's got to be the next thing that's got to be looked at. in maybe it's all states. Montana could dang sure take a look at it. Hunting hunting mule deer bucks during the rut in Montana with long range capabilities now is, I mean, there's there's <laughs> that's there's no no stopping killing a three year old sure. really good buck in Montana. And anyways, I, with all that being said, yes, there's still some hidden gems. Uh, you could still deep dive and get lucky and find a good buck. I don't think it's as prevalent as it was in the years past because the two years of drought in 19 or 20 and 21, and then that bad winter, yes, those that years of drought really, really, really hurt the mule deer. Um, everybody keeps wanting to say chronic wasting disease. It's whatever. There's been, you talk to the old timers, there's been disease forever. I say e- EHD hurt us worse. <laughs> EHD in uh, 20 and 21 crippled the deer in Northeast Wyoming. Absolutely crippled them. Oh. Um, there was... I, there was years where I, in two, 2020, I saw bucks that were in full velvet, bucks that were hard horned and bucks that were shed all in November. I watched bucks shed their antlers in November because their hormones were so screwed up from getting crippled by EHD. I had hunters kill bucks in, let's say the season runs October 1st, October 14th. I had a hunter kill a buck in his lungs. He was in full velvet. His lungs had adhered to the inside of his chest cavity and there was all those pus pockets yeah. in his lungs because that EHD had taken over his body and the healing process. It had just scar tissue had healed to the inside. So, he literally, instead of going up, cutting the diaphragm, reaching up past the heart, cutting the top of the heart, cutting the esophagus, and jerking it all, out. you had to like carve his lungs off of the inside of his rib cage because it adhered to his. So, there's a lot of issues that we've dealt with. CWD, I mean, uh, I just, it gets me irritated. I think we could put money in, in highway crossings and yeah. stuff like that. We could save a lot of deer in highways instead of worrying about shooting mature bucks that are so-called spreading the disease. Um, but there's a lot of other factors that have hit our deer. We're still seeing the residual effects from 2020 and the drought in deer shedding their velvet really, really late. We're still hunting bucks in October that are in full velvet and they should have shed their velvet. They're shedding their velvet the 10th, the 12th of October, the 15th of October. And that's not normal around here. Mm-hmm. You know, usually a late buck carries his velvet till about the 10th of September, 15th of September, and then they're then they're hard-horned. And then you'll kill one of those bucks, and you'll go up to them. They don't have any nuts on them. Yep. They're nuts with a of teeth. They've completely lost every bit of... So their fertility is completely out of them too, right? Yep. So I think there's there's a lot of factors that are affecting our finding a hidden gem as far as finding a big mule deer. Elk, they're everywhere. Gotcha. Elk are... Elk like rabbits. They, <laughs> they're prolific. Up. They're elk, the. Oh my god, they show up everywhere. They're such a nomadic creature. They can, these winters, yeah, they can be tough. But elk just keep pushing. They keep pushing to that next ridge where they can find feed, and they move in mobs and then knock fences down. They keep going until they find feed. Winters don't don't affect the elk like the mule deer. Yeah. Elk winter mules are just. And I think that's the thing too. Our 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 elk numbers have increased so highly in the state of Wyoming that it's it's it, it is affecting the mule deer. Uh, winter wintering range mm-hmm. it's, it's crippling i mean that mountain mahogany and stuff you'll see those elk, they'll just go through and they'll just they'll they'll decimate stuff they'll decimate sagebrush not that they're eating the sagebrush but they just work their way through it and they leave those mule deer with nothing to eat and so yeah yeah there's been a huge shift in northern wyoming that i think the game and fish that everybody keeps wanting to point is cwd and i think the money could be spent and man if we could just put high fences and put the uh, highway crossings yep. for these you could save three thousand a year that just got hit by vehicles and save the millions of CWD testing and go to that. But yeah, there's, there's, it's definitely not one thing.
0: No. Yeah. No, it's not. I know uh, I'm on a mule deer working committee here. We had our first meeting this last week for Utah and we're kind of working on the, the next, you know, plan, if you will, for the state of Utah and kind of the direction we want to take mule deer. And all the things that you brought up are all things that were brought up in that first meeting. And it's, it's not just Wyoming, it's Utah. I mean, all, all the things that you just mentioned highway crossings, fencing, you know, disease, you know, drought habitat conditions. It's like all those things. It's like a perfect storm for, for mule deer. I will say that, you know, there, there is hope in, in kind of what you're saying. Cause I'm seeing the same things in Southern Utah is I'm seeing like favorable conditions the last two. I mean, we, we had a harder winter in, in Utah and I know you guys had a hard winter, but you know, the kind of the benefit of that is coming out of the backside of it. The does that did make it had really good seed. And you know, in talking to biologists and I've got a degree kind of a background in biology too. It's it's that uh hope, you know, a, a big we we say fat bottom does make uh you know big bucks in the end, right? So uh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think there's some hope going forward, but you're right, it's it's not one thing. Um I think you said some interesting things that hopefully people picked up on a little bit. It's uh it's, it's tough to find, you know, a big mature buck in a a really open area. That's really glassable. Um, you know, you, got to kind of look for some, uh, some off, the off the wall kinds of strategies, if you will, to potentially find a a big mature buck anymore. And, and they may, they they may not be, uh, in an area that's like super remote. They may just be, you know, kind of tucked away in a little hard to find spot. And that's certainly what I've found. So good, good, good food for thought. Um, I was curious, do you, do you apply in other states or like being the, you know, you're from Wyoming, I would consider Wyoming the best opportunity state in the West, hands down. Uh, I mean, when people ask me, I shouldn't tell you this being that you're from, you know, born and raised Wyoming, but when people ask me like, where should I move if I wanted to go hunting? I tell them Wyoming.
1: (laughs) So, (laughs) so I, I I tell them Montana,
0: (laughs) I'm sure, but do you, do you apply Uh, other places or do you pretty much just stick close to home?
1: You know, I live. The ranch I worked on for 20 years, I lived 600 yards from Montana. And so I'd apply for Montana and Wyoming. I'd hunt my home state and then I'd hunt in uh, Montana too. And with those, I mean, geez, I, I'd have so many tags trail between a Montana combo tag, which used to be 640 bucks, you know, when I started putting for it. And then having Wyoming where I was killing two buck antelope. And I mean, just, it was, it's crazy. I could literally get, I'd have 10 tags in my pocket and they were, there was, six of them were for, you know, our six or seven of them were for bucks and bulls. Like, so it was, it was easy to just, to stay here. Um, it's crazy when I talk to guys and I, and I tell them like, I haven't really went to place I've killed, you know, I've killed a handful of bucks in New Mexico with my bow. Mm-hmm. Um, I hunted Kansas, I had an old boss and he had a lease in Kansas and we'd all apply for Kansas and I hunted down there a little bit till some white tail down there with my bow. Um, but no, I mean, if it, if it, it wasn't uh, New Mexico, I have a good buddy down there and we go down and see him and chase deer with our bows down there. And I've, I've hunted Arizona, the desert, the over the counter one time down there. So no, it's been a lot of just Montana and Wyoming. I've, I've spent a lot of time and I don't know if, if anybody's familiar with Montana, Wyoming. there's a lot of country between those two States. And there's a lot of big, nasty, rough mountains that, that are, that are pretty, pretty remote. And, uh, so I I love, I love, I love the Wyoming and Montana stuff. And so yeah, that's focused as you should.
0: And I, 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 again, I mean, I hope there's a, just a a note to pass on to people. There is, uh, you know, if you're looking for opportunity, I still think, and I would assume that you'd agree is that Wyoming is probably still the best opportunity and kind of a mix of quality. I still feel like you can kill a really quality bull in Wyoming on a relatively easy to draw tag, although it's getting a little bit tougher to draw those general season tags, but you know, for, it'll be interesting to see what the special tag price does this year.
1: Yeah, You know, that going up
0: to 2000 bucks is is expensive. It's hard for me as a non-resident to stomach. And I think it's, you know, potentially it's probably priced me out of that applying for it every single year, which is probably not a bad thing, to be honest, because, you know, maybe that's going to happen to a lot of people. And maybe that tag will become, you know, available for everybody every two to three years versus every five to six or seven And, uh, Mm -hmm. I think that's probably not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I could probably save my money over a couple of years and and plan to hunt that every few years versus just kind of chasing along behind the point creeps. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. It's just going to require me to save a little bit more money, but I still think it's like one of the best opportunity States specifically for, you know, mule deer. And I think there's a lot of units and a lot of those general regions that a person could still draw and go up there and hunt with relatively few points. And then, you know, Montana, Montana is a great opportunity state. You're probably not going to kill the the buck of a lifetime, just like you said, because you're hunting during the middle of the rut with a rifle for the most of the state. <laughs> so it's pretty tough to kill a mature buck, but it's still a really good opportunity to go hunting. And then, you know, general season elk hunting up there is still really awesome. So, I mean, I, uh, I understand completely. I was just curious as to... It makes sense to me. I just wanted to kind of confirm that's what you're doing. I am curious about New Mexico, though. You have a buddy down there that went to. New, that's why you hunted New Mexico for deer, because most people yeah. most people are not driving from Northern Wyoming to New Mexico to
1: hunt mule deer. Yeah, it's actually a client that I'd guided. He started out with a guy. He was just a guy that I'd guided up in Wyoming, and uh, he's he's a ranch kid, and uh, we talking cowboy and everything, you know. And he goes, man, he goes, I got some mule deer in a place down there, and he goes, if you ever want to come down and bow hunt, I trade you, <laughs> and so. That's exactly what I did. Drove all the way down there, hunted the January hunt and uh, man, hunted the desert country of New Mexico. And it was a blast. It's uh probably some of the harder mule deer hunting I've ever done. Uh, but I enjoyed the heck out of it. It's fun chasing those bucks out in the desert and mm-hmm. doing all that stuff. And January, where they're still at the tail end of their rut and never knew what the weather was going to be. It could be 60 degrees or there was years where I was hunting. It was 10 below zero and a wind chill. And everybody else nobody else was out hunting from new mexico yep. but i was loving it because then i it was it was it was just like like hunting at home late season stuff so no i did that for i don't know i think i killed four or five bucks down there with my bow it was that was a lot of fun yeah uh, i still, still got the invite to go down there i just i haven't made it down there the last few years and both of us got married and we had kids and life has just just gotten in the way you know how it is and <laughs> when you're gone all of september and october and Still hunting a little bit at home in December, and it's like, hey, honey, I'm gonna leave and go for two weeks and head to New Mexico. It's just, I just kind of been on the backburn to be honest with you the last few years. No, I got a really good, really good buddy, one of my best friends that lives down there, and he's got a place that. I buy the landowner tag and we go do that, that whole thing. So I haven't even messed with the draw to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm very fortunate that I got a good friend down there. No,
0: but I looking at the draw. That's why I was curious that you said New Mexico, because I've looked at New Mexico for a lot of years. I've never, I've never gone to, I've applied for tag, just kind of the top tier mule deer. I've never applied for, uh, you know, tags that I could draw relatively easy. But when you look for the draw, it's as a non-resident, purely as a non-resident, there's a lot of archery opportunities that are relatively easy to draw in New Mexico, I think it's yeah. highly, highly underrated in my opinion for there Um, oh. one one of the biggest bucks yeah. I've ever seen was I don't, <laughs> I don't, I should I don't know if I should say this, but like it's out there anyway. But uh, there's a clip of it. We just actually put a reel on uh, our our Instagram page. But it's a giant buck. I had an elk tag in my pocket. Uh I killed a bull, Lorenzo killed a bull. We filmed that hunt, but one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen, he was forty five yards, and you know, I could have drawn that deer tag a hundred percent guaranteed that year. And I was kicking my <laughs> own ass that I did not have a deer tag. <laughs> I mean really? yeah. I'll have you know. to I'll have to show you sometime. I'll I'll just I'll I'll send you the link to the reel. But yeah, that buck came out forty five yards, stood there like you'd yeah. never seen a human. I mean, he's probably he's got to be pushing 200 if he's not 200 just as a straight typical he's a he's a giant deer but i it was interesting to hear you say that because i think i think it's highly under underrated for for non-residents and for residents i mean new mexico is another one of those states like if you're looking to, for an opportunity to move move to a state for hunting opportunity i mean it's it's draw down there but man the odds are so good for folks
1: no uh, yeah so good yeah there's a there's a Wyoming kid that he's he works for me on the ranch and he went down there and he lives there now and he uh he he's crushed it and he hunts with a recurve and he's killed some damn good bulls and i think he's killed some damn good he's a really good bow hunter mm-hmm. himself and he's really he's a lot younger than me but he's he's just ambitious and he's he's done well like he rolls down and he's like yeah he's like hey, I mean, he, granted he came from wyoming where he, he has sure. a really good hunting background his dad took him out of bunch he's good he's like man he goes it's so easy down here that's all it's all he's told me is like when he's got those units he's he's hammered bulls like in three and four days he's killed every time he's stuck a bull with his and good ones with his recurve so yeah.
0: i've never had a bad elk hunt in new mexico i've had i've had attacks where i didn't kill a bull but i've never had a bad <laughs> hunt and it's just like you're yeah. they just rut their faces off every elk hunt i've ever been on down there just rutting bulls it's uh it's a great place i was curious have you ever you ever picked up a recurve
1: oh yeah oh yeah i, I still shoot one quite a bit actually uh Everybody always gives me a hard time. I should say everybody. There's a lot of people that give me a hard time about not chasing stuff because I've I've had so much I've had a lot of success in my compound over the last. I mean, when you hunt as long as you and I have, like it's you better like I wouldn't do it, I guess, probably as long as I have if I wasn't successful. Maybe <laughs> I don't know how to put it, but um yeah, I've I've picked up the recurve and I have I've hunted with I missed a really good buck in Montana in two thousand twenty one. I missed a buck. Ah uh, man, I've missed I've missed a really good whitetail and i shot underneath a big mule deer too so mm-hmm. I've, I've missed two deers that i've never stuck anything with it and i was actually i had my recurve. i was all about it in 2021 hunting montana deer with my recurve went out on that stock and it was it was a long day and i found my number two buck and uh i missed him and i was down in the dumps and i was literally walking back to get my shoes and i walked up over this divide and it's like 11 o'clock in the morning september 30th it's 95 degrees and no kidding trail, I look down to this canyon where I'd been looking for my number one, but for the last four days and hadn't found him. I see him. He's up feeding 11 o'clock. I'm guessing he was switching beds. I run, oh, I don't even know. It was a couple miles to get all the way out of this chunk of public. There was another dude in there. I could see him, and I was so worried. I went and got my compound, jogged all the way back. And so by the time I get there, it's like 1230. I find that buck, and he bedded up underneath this rim, and I end up killing him my compound. Oh, That's how much wow. confidence I have in my <laughs> Yeah. So much confidence. I went through it in the truck and I was like, I'm, I'm done with this. thing. <laughs> that's hilarious. So yeah. I shoot a recurve. I shoot a recurve for fun quite a bit. Actually. I, I like shooting it. I just, it's one of those things. Like when a guy tells me they draw a tag and they're like, I'm like, are you going to use your bow? And they're like, well, I'm going to take my, my gun with you. But I'm planning on using my bow. And it always turns into a rifle. Sure. I need to do the same thing. I just need to leave the recur, leave the, leave the compound and just take my recurve. And I think that's the only way that I would be good at it. Do you, do you think shooting with a recurve makes you better with your compound?
0: like just practicing Dude, with um, it
1: no i don't think it's not for me i mean i i don't know oh. i don't know i don't i'm not a very technical shooter anyway i shoot a lot mm-hmm. uh i don't dive in if you sound i'm a trigger punch and son of a bitch like i'm a <laughs> i'm an index finger tri- no. like yeah i slammed that trigger i put the pin where i want and i hit the trigger like so i don't know <laughs> Do you uh you never had any issues as far as like Tar- i don't know i don't
0: want to say the word but you know the, no, you, you know read, the phrase i'm uh, thinking you never had any issues i've never had like,
1: target panic no really maybe when i was a kid i used to put it at the bottom of a little bit of target panic let should say it was target panic maybe when i was younger i remember like having to like, kind of like i would say like you'd always like chuck it up into the mm-hmm. i'd put my pen right at the bottom of the bullseye and i would throw it up in there but no i can i can talk myself through it now and I mean, now that I'm aware of it, I mean, this hasn't been a thing since until Joel Turner came around and then people started hearing what, I don't know, like the fix for it in the last five years, but I'm sure I dealt with it over my years, but I literally like, I'll put my pin on it and then I pull the trigger when I want it to go yes. off. It's way different than me with a gun. When I shoot a gun, I can, I can surprise myself. I can pull, my dad always taught me that too, though. It was pull, 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 pull one, just breathe through it until the gun goes off. Right. Mm-hmm. My bow, it's just different. I'm, I don't know. For me, I, 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 want I can float that pin where I want it, and then I, I, pull that trigger when I want it to go off. I mean, I'm not, I'm not dropping the hand. You see those people that drop from here and they, they crush it. I got my finger on. I can release. I, I do that with my mind. I'll tell myself, all right, ease out of it, and I'll pull my finger back off the trigger. <laughs> but yeah, I'm still a trigger punch. And when I want that to go off, I want it to go off now. Man, you know, so, you
0: know what I'm learning about trigger punching. So I. Target panic existed before, before Joel came around. Cause I had it pretty bad before I'd ever heard well, it. Yeah I'm, I'm saying, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying
1: his the whole I, shot process. I, thing I, know, I know what you're it, saying, yeah. but
0: here, here's a, here's an observation for you. Um, I know people. So we had Kyle Douglas. I don't know if you know, Kyle, Kyle's a pro shooter for Matthews. Uh, just, just uh-huh. want to, you know, he's like back to back ASA known pro shooter of the year. He's won Vegas twice and he's a command shooter puncher. Um, You know, Jimmy Lutz, same thing you know, command shooter, I'm seeing more and more people shooting thumb button releases in competition archery. I mean, a lot more people talk about uh, punching and it used to be like this dirty word, you know, but it's, it's really interesting. I can't punch a trigger. I went out and shot this morning. So I've been shooting the last few days um, on my own because I I love shooting, but I can't, Mm -hmm. I I can't punch a trigger. I I can't do it because if I do, I get that target panic. Like I get that anticipation, but here's what I'm learning. So I'm, I'm talking to people like you. Uh, we had Kyle Douglas on the podcast last week. We're going to drop that here on the Big Hunt Guys one here in a week or so. But it's really interesting to me. Is I'm seeing like a, a, a commonality between the type of people that shoot like that, the command shoot, and it's just pure determination. Like they've determined in their head that they can do it and that they're going to do it. And, and <laughs> I, I'm not kidding you. They're very confident people. You talk to Kyle, same thing. Like there's this confidence that oozes out of the guy. He's like, yeah, I know I'm command shooting. It's the way I shoot and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it every single time. And I'm going to do it the way that uh, it's supposed to be done if you're going to command shoot. And I'm just absolutely determined and and extremely competitive. That guy is extremely mm-hmm. I mean, I asked him the question outright because I could see it on his face when I watched him shoot at Vegas. was like, are you a competitive person? And he was like, I am deeply competitive competitive and you can see it in his in his shot process you can see it in his determination to make the shot and i think it's because i get that from you too like just talking to you like you seem like you're very determined you have a lot of willpower it feels like i mean you you look at you working out you're working out every day you're putting in the effort like you're a very you seem to me at least objectively looking at you you seem like a very determined person so it's interesting to me um and i think that's kind of joel turner's shtick right is that uh whether you shoot command or whether you shoot, you know, in a pull through style math, you know, method when you're push pulling like that determination. But I think it's awesome. I think it's, it goes to show that there's like more way to more than one way to skin a cat. You know, somebody can punch a trigger. They can just determine that they're going to do it. That's the way that they shoot. They're going to do it exactly the same way every single time. So I think it's really cool. And I think it's a, I think it's a fun observation to make because I think uh, it's a kind of a paradigm shift of what everybody's been teaching myself included for like the last 10 years
1: yeah it's it's easy to hear you say that because then i've shot with really good shooters that that shoot you know like uh i don't even know what it's called like the surprise shot the right like brian barney brian barney's really good i've shot with him and stand you stand toe-to-toe with that guy and you it you shoot with him and he's he shoots just the joel turner method mm-hmm. and uh it's very interesting to shoot with him and then you watch me and we're completely different shooting styles but yeah, it's like, uh, and there's I'm super confident I want to hang right with Barney, right? Like, <laughs> I want to shoot with that guy, and I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to X him out of the 12 ring. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it is interesting how it, I didn't know any different, right? Mm-hmm. I started shooting with the trigger, and that's just what I did. And I shoot, I don't even, I used to not, I didn't shoot a mover sight until like three years ago. I shoot eight or nine pins on, uh, I mean, I still gap shoot, I still shoot really, really fast bows so that i can gap shoot i want 330 feet per second on my bows i usually shoot 325 to 334 i shoot a 460 grain arrow i mean they're moving and that's what i like because i like being able to put my Mm -hmm. 40 pin up there my 50 pins right underneath it my 60 pins right underneath it my 30 pins right on top i mean like it's tight i can stack pins in there and i can gap shoot because of the speed of my bow the flat trajectory and that's my accuracy so what yeah, it's, it's each their own, and and my bow setups are they're all very similar. I shoot a, a Hunter XT two hundred and fifty, not a fancy arrow at all, like the most simple gold tip arrow you can shoot. And um, yeah, it's, I, I've shot that same arrow setup since two thousand nine. So, what do
0: you think I, about uh, single pin sights for hunting?
1: Absolutely not. They're, it's a failure. Unless you're unless you're a I I my one of my one of my really good friends, he's an absolute killer. Mm-hmm. He runs a single pin. But he knows stocking inside and out. He's a wicked good shot. Um, he checks all the boxes, and he's he's a better hunter than I am. I, mean, I grew up with him. He lived with me in high school. He's one. He's like a brother to me. He's a killer killer, and he runs a single pin. Oh, there's there's guys I'm flat out say it, guys aren't good enough to to run that when the situation arrives. There's not very many guys that can handle the range. The did the animal move again? I gotta look down, I gotta take my eyes off that critter. I'm taking my eyes off of the focus where I needed to be focusing on, what what that crease was behind the shoulder, how he's positioned. I gotta look down, I gotta move it, pick back up. There's too many variables moving to decide that one pin is good enough, there's guys that can absolutely run it, but they're absolute killers, mm-hmm. and those guys know exactly what I'm talking about. The other guys, they aren't. They think they're absolute killers, and it's it's a hindrance to them, and it's it's gonna it's gonna put them in a pickle one day where they're gonna hit something high, they're gonna shoot something low, it's gonna it's gonna get them, and then they all like to shoot 280 feet per second with a single pin, or they like to shoot 275 with a single pin and some sweet double triple beveled, I don't know whatever brada that everybody talks about now. And that's not the ticket. If you're going to shoot a single pin, you better be 300 feet per second. My buddy shoots a 31 inch dry. She's about a 450 grain arrow, probably a little lighter than me. And his bows are smoke. And we all, man, we come from that era of chasing speed <laughs> and high kinetic energy. And like, it's, it's, it takes a special setup to do that. There's just too many variances with a single pin. I mean, every single scenario I can think of where my I've had my bow in my hand, I've loved having to know that that buck or bull could take two extra steps they towards me they could take two or three steps away from me they could a mule deer when i roll in on a mule deer stock usually if i get in a tight cut like a tight draw and i'm sitting on top of him for that three hours like you explained earlier i'm pre ranging the other side of the draw already knowing that if he catches wind of me and he does his boom boom, boom bounces out and stops that rock i'd already ranged with. it was 46 yards yeah he's at his bed in 19 underneath me but That always gets blown up. The wind always shifts. A cloud always rolls over and covers that sun for a split second, and that wind touches the back of your ear. Now he's blowing out, and you might get that shot when he crosses the draw. I want multiple pins so that when I come to full draw, he was at 19. He went past that sagebrush at 33. He's up to that sagebrush. He's stopping, slowing, turning broadside 52 yards. I'm settling that 50 pin right on him and letting it hammer right and yeah. i didn't have to move a damn thing so i'm absolutely against anybody that tells me they're going to use a single pin unless you're sitting in a tree stand and yeah you got the feeder in front of you i don't know there's, a, there's
0: about that there's about five or ten good tips in that in that five minutes that you had right there so,
1: you know, <laughs> I'm sorry so i went off no, on man, that, that, but was that that's was... a question guys asked me and i'm like it takes a killer a killer can run a single pin a guy that's done it a million times can run a single pin and knows his bow inside and out but yeah
0: that was perfect there's I, I hope people go back and listen to that because you answered one question but you dropped about five or six other really good tips that people would would need to hear you know so so go back and listen to that if you <laughs> if you didn't go back and, and uh, just pick up the little things that he just dropped right there because there's a lot in what he just said um
1: what do you what do you shoot for broadhead i'm curious uh grim reaper pro series inch and three eights uh mechanical yeah yeah did you uh, yeah I used, to, I'm... I used to shoot the razor cuts, mm-hmm. but then they came out with those pro series and i, I really like that pro series tip but yeah i've shot them since i think i've shot grim reaper since '09. also i started shooting a matthews monster in 2009 with that five inch brace height. right so i told you i was a speed chaser and uh that's what gave I me was, panic <laughs> there you go i shot so i shot striker broadheads yep. before that when my bows were shooting 280 strikers were awesome well, come to find out, I didn't know anything about tuning, right? Back then, my uh, those arrows weighed like 340 grains. Like it was crazy what we killed stuff with, and it worked great. But I strapped a striker onto my arrow, and I shot and hit planed out at like 40 yards. I missed a block target, right? Mm-hmm. So then I got to watching YouTube way back then, and there was this guy named Tim Wells. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows the sock master, and he's shooting these broadheads, and I couldn't figure out what it was. So I do a little more research with the Grim Reapers. So then I started watching, and I'm like, man, if Tim Wells is trusting these broadheads to do what he's doing, I got a, you know, thirty and a half inch, thirty one inch straw. So like I can use these, and man, I've killed a lot of critters with the Grim Reaper yeah. since those days. So, yeah, that's
0: that's yeah, that's funny. So it wouldn't it wouldn't have mattered if you would have known a whole lot about tuning because that Matthew's monster was tough to tune anyway. <laughs> And, yes, and this is probably a good spot in the podcast for me to mention that Matthews is a sponsor of my podcast. So I'm, I am I apologize for that guys, but Matthews monster was a damn tough bow to tune. Um, I had a really hard time tuning that bow. It's good to know that uh, those bows have come, you know, night and day, very easy to tune oh, at this yeah. point. So a, a good bow, oh, but, yeah. but that is funny because I, I also bought a Matthews monster. That was one of the hardest bows I think uh, I ever owned to shoot. I had a really hard time shooting that bow. And it was just so aggressive, super fast. I mean, yeah. every, every bit of foot per second that you could get out of that thing. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's funny. Um, what do you? Uh, what do you? You said you shoot an index finger release. What are you shooting?
1: You know. Uh, do you know. How long you had it? Nah, I bought it in 2017, 16 or 17. Scott, there you go. <laughs> probably a shark i like the sharks because i like the dual calipers that open both sides open at once i didn't like the mongoose it was a single but i bought two of them and because i always got one in my pack and then i had the wolf used to do the same thing the wolf opens just like that too so there's another wolf in my pack so i bought it 2017 because i bought it the year that i drew my sheep tag and i thought i need a new release but if you saw that thing it's 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 had honestly it's probably had one hundred and fifty thousand arrows. So I'm gonna shoot damn near every day. So that thing says so. I probably should get a new one now that you said. The other day, it got cow elk blood in it back in December, and I took. I was shooting. And then when I'd go outside, it was seasoned up. I mean, when you know you pull, oh, the, yeah. pull the index, it doesn't open. Mm-hmm. So you're sitting there at full draw, you pull the trigger. So I had to give a little WD forty on it. Actually, I spit on it, got it working, and then uh WD forty and clean the elk load out of it. But it's
0: it's either that or it uh, it opens up when you're like right at the top end of it. Roll your cam rolling <laughs> over, and you punch yourself <laughs> in your mouth. So I uh, I may have put an arrow. I was shooting yeah. indoor leagues probably 20 years ago, and pulled back with my index finger release right as it was rolling over and put an arrow in the roof. Kind of, you know, I was I was sky drawn a little bit, probably drawing too much poundage and punched punched myself right in the mouth, right on the line. Bloodied my lip. It was great. One of my finest moments for sure. Oh that's um, awesome. I wanted to ask you, uh you you're, you do some stuff with Stone Glacier. Um yeah. you you film some hunts with those guys and you know you're using their packs, you're using their their clothing, their layering system. I thought it'd be interesting to ask you as a bow hunter, you're primarily hunting, I think probably through August, you know, maybe even into like the first part of October. And then, you you know, you mentioned late season, you're doing some late season cow elk hunting. Uh, I just wanted to run me through like your typical archery layering system setup. Like what are you using from those guys? What are you packing in your backpack? Uh, If you're doing a backpack hunt, how much extra clothes are you packing?
1: All right. Yeah, that's cool. Cool question. All right. So let's just just break down like a September hunt. Mm -hmm. It's very simple because with their layering system, I'm, I'm very simple. So I love the De, De Havilon light pants. <laughs> those are, that's where I'm going to start my bottom layer. I run the De Havilon light pants. Um, when I'm going in on a backpack hunt, I do kind of just, I just look at the weather and if it looks like it might be a little chill- chillier, I throw in the Merino, lightweight Merino underwear, long johns. I'll throw those in, but man, that's gotta be, it's gotta be, it's gonna be dropping in the twenties or thirties. But other than that, I usually don't even take long johns with me. <laughs> Um, so I like the De Havilland light pants. And then for my upper layers, I usually wear the, um, Avro, which is like the synthetic <laughs> t-shirt. I wear the synthetic t-shirt and then I usually wear the Avro synthetic long sleeve with the hood. And then I wear the Helio hoodie, which is the next layer. It's your grid sleeves hoodie. And that's my, that's my whole upper layer in my pack. I'm going to have the Grumman puffy, mm-hmm. I'm a big down puffy. And then I'm going to have the M five, which is their rain gear. I'm going to have their pants, And I'm going to take the coat if I'm going on a backpack hunt in the mountains. I don't always like, if I'm in the Badlands country, I don't take rain pants because it's going to be a cloud boomer that's going to hit you. It's going to be 75 degrees, all it's going to cool down to. It's going to be 95 by the time that cloud boomer rolls through. So I just, just enough to keep the water off of me is why I'll I'll take the rain coat. Um, But yeah, it's, that's it, man. That's, that's all I roll with going in. It's, it's literally just the on light pants. If it looks like it's gonna be cold, I'll throw in the merino long johns, the Avro mm-hmm. short sleeve, the Avro long sleeve, synthetic, synthetic, and then the Helio hoodie. That's my top layer all the time with the Grumman puffy in the backpack, and then the M5 are, toe. Are you are you pa- are you packing? Bomb-proof. Are you packing
0: extra socks, extra underwear, or anything like that?
1: I pack one extra pair of socks always in my pack, and um, I got one extra pair of socks I always take, and I'll take one extra pair of underwear if it's like over if it's over like a three or four day, but usually I just try to find some water, and yeah. dip in it and wash the underwear off and throw them back on. Only reason I take extra socks is because man, there's been too many times where I've put socks on stuff and I've blown holes in my socks mm. while stocking on things. And I usually have my big wool socks, but sometimes I get in a little bit of a hurry and just kick my shoes off, tuck my pants in my socks and go. And I'll end up ruining a pair of socks. So I always make sure I got one extra pair of socks with me. And then if I get down to where I'm down to those, I got to, uh, I really got to be dialed on the next stock and make sure that I don't blow through. Cause I've, I've hiked out, I'm sure you have too, where mm-hmm. I've blown a, blown a toe through a hole in my sock. And that's the worst blister I've ever had in my life. It was between my toes because of a damn hole in my sock. And I was like, ah, I only got a couple more miles. I was in the dark and it ate my feet up, but yeah. yeah, man, I'm, I'm very simplistic. And then as the late season goes, I still like, I've I'll run the DeHavillon pants. So I'll get rid of the lights and I'll run the DeHavillon pants. instead of long johns, but when you take that, and then maybe my Grumman puffy uh, vest, they have a Grumman puffy Mm -hmm. vest. I'll throw in the vest. That Grumman gear is just, that down is so light and so warm that you throw in the Grumman pants, the Grumman top, and with like your M5 gear, and now you've made like the, I can roll in December and that stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, like literally below zero, I can hunt and that stuff. So that's, it's a very simple layering system where it's just, a couple top layers, one bottom layer and make sure I got my puffy and my rain gear and I'm good to go.
0: Yeah. I was, I was curious. That was going to be my next question is if you, if you've uh, ever tried like any kind of stocking shoe, stocking sock, I know that as I was walking, as I was walking around the expo, there's some interesting options out there now. There's like four or five like moccasins and, you know, like yeah. all—I mean, they've been around for a while. Like those ones that slip over your boots with the thick foam. And I've had a number of pairs, and I've tried them on and off, but I've never really—I've always
1: just gone back to stocking in my socks, just like you have. Um, I was curious. Yeah, me. Too. No, I've never tried any of the moccasins or the leather soles. <laughs> I mean, there's been times like when I went to Arizona. I knew it was gonna be rocky and cactusy down there, so I just had an old pair of like Under Armour tennis shoes, like wore-out gym shoes. And I could get—I got a big pair of wool socks. I could fit over them. It's a pain in the ass to get them over them, but just to combat the cactus and the rocks there, and I still ended up in my socks and had to call my buddy to bring him my boots because I had ended up chasing the freaking mule deer all day and I ended up in my socks anyway. So I'm just like you. I've always just ended up in my socks. And you talk to guys like my best friend Zach, who I talk about. He never has to take his, but he's killed so much stuff and he's taken his boots off maybe once. Brian Barney never takes their boots off, and I'm like. Maybe it's because I'm two hundred and twenty-five pounds that I, I truly think that there's just a difference. Like I'm a louder walker. So I always like I've I've lost. I killed a big five actually one of these bulls right here. I killed my big one of my biggest bulls in 2013. And I snuck in on him, did the final approach on him and his cows, and uh kicked my shoes off in the sagebrush was like waist deep. And I rolled in, got an arrow in him, hustled up and got a second arrow in him and it's getting dark, and I come back, I get my pack, and I get all my stuff gathered up. I can't find my boots. I've done and that. I'm like a mile, not that far, a mile and a half. Like just, a, it was an evening hunt. I literally packed that bull out in my socks, <laughs> and I never found that pair of boots to this day. So he's the boot bull. They were a shitty pair of morels anyways, like some cheap, like I was day hunting, and I had some like lightweight morels. I thought, oh, these will be nice and quiet and they slipped off, and I slipped off, and I lost them, and so they got eaten up by mice. I'm sure our rubber soles laying out there. That might
0: that might be one of the best stories I've ever heard from anybody. You packed you pack that bull out in
1: your socks. Packed him out my socks. Yeah, I quick quartered him, and uh, hair on quarters threw the quarters in my pack. Did a did a load at a time. Did three three tripped him. He's a big 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 bull. <laughs> Uh, body-wise, but it was just sage rush. I was loaded with cactus, but I got on a good cow trail and I was able to hoof it all the way down to my four-wheeler and get him out, but he was in my socks, got him all out in my socks that night. I've, <laughs> I've
0: done that one time, lost my boots on a stock in, in the evening and then, you know, it got dark in my, I couldn't find him and I was, I was backpack hunting, so basically I just laid down. I just, <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, laid down and then got up and hiked around, just gridded out the hillside the next day in the morning and found my boots, but the, I, I had a real panic moment there for a minute.
1: Uh, I, I'm glad I was not backpacking. Yeah. I literally had, I had a base camp. I had all that. So I was very, I knew, I knew my out and it was, let's just be tough and get this sucker out. Of and I was so jacked because I killed, him. Like get it, it all worked out except I didn't have my boots. So I was kind of running on adrenaline, right? That's pretty hilarious. I, I killed a bear a couple of years ago and broke my toe. Uh, so I should, that was the time because I, I hit him first arrow and he ran up a tree. And so I like run into sticking with a second arrow while I was in my socks and it was really rocky. And I run in adrenaline, whack, I hit him in the I shoot him in the tree, he falls out of the tree and he's like rolling around the ground and you know, all the growling and stuff. And I'm like, I kinda of like I my my adrenaline starts to come down as he he like takes his last breath. So I like go back to get my pack, and I'm like, Ah, my toe is hurting and I had literally broke uh my toe next to my big toe. I jammed it right into a rock, blew the toenail completely off <sighs> and broke it. So then you're sitting there trying to pack him out in the dark that night. Oh, it was rough. But I've had a good couple instances with my feet and Yikes. socks and huge bruises in my arches. I did that on my Montana Military this year, like going through the rocks too hard and just sticking a sticking a rock in my arch. I should probably after all this, you know, talking to you and thinking I well, should probably look into this stuff. Because yeah, I've had some I've had some good foot injuries from the old yeah. sneaking out of my socks. How about cactus? I'm sure you've been there where mm-hmm. I killed a deer in like, September 3rd one year, and it was like three weeks later, we're chasing elk up in the mountains, and we're sitting around camp, That middle of the day my buddy killed a bull, and we're sitting, we're backpacked in, and my foot was hurting me, and we're like sitting around camp, this is three weeks after I would killed my mules around the sagebrush, and I'm like digging around on my foot, digging around in my foot, all of a sudden I push, and this nasty, huge thorn comes out right between my toes, it had been in there festering for three and a half weeks, and it finally worked its way out, like, yep. Yeah. Every every time I come home from Arizona, uh mm-hmm. we did
0: that odd ad hunt in Texas with Brady. Um, yeah, I'll I'll
1: come home that was yeah. a sweet hunt by the way. Oh. That was a sweet hunt by
0: the way. Thanks. Yeah, I'll come home and uh just like your legs, they'll you'll have those little marks, they fester up and you're pushing out cactus spines. The other ones are those yucca, like you break off the end of a yucca and like you yep. know the the sharp long spine in your leg. Yeah. I've had a number of yeah. those stuck in my calf and they take some time to work out, but they you know, they pop out eventually. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever, I'm going to die from it, but yeah, it's, it's always fun. Um, I was curious, I want to ask you a couple more questions and then I'll cut you loose because you probably, you know, need to get some dinner. Your wife's probably like, Hey, you know, time. Yeah, you're good. Um, you're good. She
1: knows me. Yeah. We, I can, I talk hunting a lot. Yeah, so. I'm sure.
0: Uh, I was curious why, uh, you, you probably talked to, you You go to these, you know, Western hunting summits. You already mentioned it. You talked to a lot of new hunters. You talked to a lot of hunters in general. You got buddies that hunt. I do do as well. But why do you think most people miss with their bow? and and you know you've probably missed shots why do you think you've missed and what do you think you've done to kind of alleviate that in in the future
1: i think there's 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 okay i'm gonna answer this this year i missed the bull the stone glacier not yep. coming i miss a bull this year me, um, me too <laughs> okay okay <laughs> um this year i had a bull coming in two bulls coming in i was stalking on him i wasn't calling um this is just a scenario i'm running through my head and then i'll, I'll then I'll, I'll answer your question too. Um. Bulls coming in, last time I can get a good range on him is at like 80 yards because they are they're fully exposed and I need to be ready to shoot. So that goes right back to my years of not having a range finder, and it, I, obviously I should have because I whiffed this one on the yardage guessing. I could just see the antlers as these bulls were coming in, and one bull I knew was about 15 to 20 yards behind the other bull, and the other bull I thought had worked his way into about 30 yards. So I rose up when I knew that I could see the other bulls antlers turned broadside. I was guessing him at 45 and I was real confident. I should say guessing. I was really confident. He was about 40, 45. I drew back, settled 45 and I shot and I shot right underneath him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it clipped right underneath him. He blows out there and runs up and he stops and looks at me. I was, I was kind of mind blown, but as I was knelt down looking through sweet clover that was, over the top of my head, looking at their antler tips, trying to guess yardage. It's not like I had full broadside where I could split the difference. Like I usually do count my tens, whatever my, my scenario usually is. So that's one scenario where I just, I just, I didn't have a yardage. I was going off of a guess with very little information and I shot low. That's one way that I think that I I've missed maybe a couple times Mm -hmm. in the last, I haven't missed a lot in the last 10 years, to be honest with you. If I look back last 10 years, it's, 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 I've really honed in. Mm -hmm. Um, what's made that better is knowing that i got more time than i actually like knowing that i got more time than i think i do i try to tell my wife that she's new into bow hunting she's killed a pile of bulls now too she's stacked them up she's been very good with her bow but i think people they come to full draw and they think i gotta go now i mean like and i think that's the point it's like the last it's like the last five or ten yards of that stock too you always need like that's when people want to like hurry up get to that spot and draw back like And that's probably when you got to be the slowest and most most articulate in your steps, in your thinking, in your wind, in your breathing, looking down at your bow, making sure your wrist rest is flipped up, making sure you haven't pushed on the back of your knock and maybe ease that knock off that string just a little bit. Make sure it's tied up on your string. Look at your peep if it's going to twist on you, right? Like those are all little intricate things that are going through my mind when I'm just getting ready to ease up. And maybe those are the things too that – going through that little, all of what I've just told you about making sure my knock, my arrow is seated on my string. Well, um, I don't have like my wrist strap. Isn't like caught up on the bottom. Like a rip cord rest has a big thumb tab that you push down. I've had my rip cord rest catch on the bottom of my thumb tab when I've came to full draw, but there's all those little, sorry. There's all those little scenarios right there that I think through the process before I actually come to full draw. And then when I come to full draw, I always tell myself like, I got you, buddy. Like, Hey, you're done. If I can get, if I can get back to my anchor, like you're dead. Like that's always the thing that maybe that sounds very arrogant, but in my mind, that's what I tell myself. Like you're dead. Like I got to my anchor point and you're still standing there. Like you're done. And, uh, with all that being said, I think that that's always giving me that extra one, 1,000 1,000 to settle that pin and pull that trigger. Like, and make that shot. That is when that's happened in my years past Brian Barney does a great job over the years I've heard him say it's like a car crash you don't even remember what happens <laughs> you get to full draw and you don't even know did my pen even get to where I wanted it to and bam it goes off and maybe the arrow hit him and and I think I think that's that's a lot of why people miss when you ask that question I think it's just they feel rushed they've actually holy shit I've made it to this holy crap sorry if I'm not No you're <laughs> but good but holy cow I've made it I made it to this this point and i made it. This is all I've waited for. And wham, that trigger goes off. Or I pulled my, you know, I'd punch that, that thumb button. And then it's like, now what? And I think, I truly think that that's, that's what the what happens to people. is It's just, it's they just kind of glaze over in a sense. And yeah. I think that's back to what we started talking about on this very first part of this podcast is you just need the reps. You need to kill stuff. And the more you kill, the better you get at killing. And you can slow the moment down. And realize that you have more time than you actually think you do. Unless it's a buck antelope and he sees you at full draw, he's gonna wheel and go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but no. Just he's a buck antelope. They're just they they ride high on uh, on adrenaline and they're a little bit different. But when it comes to bull elk or these mule deer or, or you know anything, they you got that one one thousand, two one thousand. That's a lot of time to settle that pin. I know it just sounds like two seconds, but you have that much more time to, to, yep. to put a good arrow them and make the shot count. I, I love everything you
0: said, man. I couldn't agree more. The, the animals I've missed have been range issues. Mostly I would say And the last, the last, the two animals that I've missed more recently have been range issues and it's just been uh angle compensation mostly, but okay. everything else I hear you saying, and it, it does. I mean, I'm glad that you brought it back to it because I think, it really does come down to just like being really intentional with absolutely everything. Like, and I think you get that through reps, being intentional in your, your reps and shooting your bow in the summer. It's like running through your entire shot process, you know, am I balanced? Is my grip feel good? Is my rest up? Is my arrow knocked? Is my release on the D loop? It's like all those little steps that you do all through repetition through the summer. And you build that up to a point where, you know, you, you get, you get in the moment you've done it so many times that everything is all it's been crossed off and you're very intentional about your shot process i, I love everything that you said man that was awesome it's per- perfectly well, perfectly answered <laughs>
1: thanks yeah i just i just i just try to think back of mm-hmm. you know the screw-ups or the failures and then and you dang you need to learn from those too so like i know what i did on that elk and i've i've, I've seen the film and i watched that and that mist and it's like i honestly trail that's one of those ones it's like you learn from your mistakes but maybe I would have tried to get a range. And so come to find out, I missed that bull I had my cameraman stand where we were sitting. And I walk up to where that bull is. I judged him at 45 and he was probably 56, 57. Mm-hmm. I was off like 10, 12 yards. And that's why I sunk it underneath him. And this is, that's why we hunt though. If that's it was it. easy and we could slap him every time. I mean, uh, and it, it yeah, anyway, so that's, that's, I, I, it frustrates me just like, I'm sure it frustrates you because those misses are the ones that I remember. Like, I had a great kill shot on the bull that I did get, but gosh, dang it. If I could have those, those kill shots or those misses are the ones that I wish I could have as kill shots. Those are, For sure. that's what makes us better. Yeah. So it keeps me, that's what keeps me driving and keeps me so motivated every single time. It's like, I want a clean season. I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is the, that was the first miss I've had in a couple of seasons. So yeah, well, that's all right.
0: It'll, it'll make you better, man. It'll make you more, yeah. m- more assured yeah. on, the, on the next one. You'll, I guarantee that I'll play through your head just like it's played through my head. Um, you know, you'll, you'll make it right the next time and, and you'll get it right. But that was awesome. I really appreciate it. I'm going to, I'm going to cut you loose so that you can grab some dinner. Um, I really, I really appreciate your time, Sam. That was really awesome. It was better. I mean, I knew it would be good, but it's every once in a while I have a podcast. I'm like, man, that wouldn't just exceeded my expectations. and, And I really appreciate it. I think you're a, you know a super cool guy I, I honestly like i look up to you i look up to guys like brandon I, I i really look up to guys that are like doing it right doing it hardcore the way that i think it should be done you know hunting hunting your ass off so i really appreciate the time and uh yeah i look forward to, to linking up again and talking again in the future hopefully we can get you down to the yeah. office
1: oh dude absolutely and thanks a lot for having me this is awesome to talk to you like i said i look up to you and your guys's videos and watching the elk hunts you've other girl, she watches hunts with me. And we just watched a couple of your hunts this weekend. Cool. So I just, I, I watch yours over again because I like watching good films and I like watching hard hunts come to fruition. So it, it, yeah, it's back at you, man. Thanks, I really bro. look up to you guys and what you guys do. So
0: I, I appreciate it. And uh, have, have a good evening. Enjoy your, your elk steaks, if that's what you're having tonight.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we are having. Um, yeah. All right, man. Have a good one, Thanks. Time. Bye. You too. Bye.